And I've got a somewhat of a strange topic for you tonight. Um, the title of this is simply The Simplicity of Jesus. The Simplicity of Jesus. Jesus isn't simple. It's not what I mean. But there is a simplicity in following him, simplicity in faith, simplicity of actions in the Bible. And as we dig into this, you're going to find it to be true. It's a consistency throughout the Bible. Um, the, here's the, there are two key verses. And excuse me if I sniffle um, tonight. I've got some Kleenex as to help me. Uh, here are my, here's the two main verses. The first one is in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay? Straightforward at the beginning. That's pretty clear right now. And lean not on your own understanding. Well, that seems somewhat difficult. That's the first thing we're supposed to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, the Bible is clear throughout. God created us with the brain. He wants us to think. Our mind helps us to hear verses, to listen to preaching, to process information. God gives us mental ability to judge righteously, judge righteous judgment. That's done with our mind. God is not against logic. God's not against our ability to figure out if someone's spirits of God or not. We have to have a system to weigh. But yet, in the overall balance of things, leaning on the Lord is usually the opposite of leaning on our own understanding. Isn't that amazing? We're going to dig into that some more. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That last phrase again, lived out, means in everything, all your ways, life behaviors, um, work, family, life, sickness, health, in all those ways, acknowledging the Lord. How do you do that? God blessed my business. God has helped me. I've been sick, but God's kept me out of it. I had an accident, but God helped me. It could have been worse. The Lord was with me. God's been on my side. I'm acknowledging the Lord in everything. I'm not sure you can go too far on that extreme. I, I know there are people that we all think are a little bit, oh, I don't know, a little different. Maybe they're just new in the faith, or maybe they're just out there somewhere. They acknowledge God in all kinds of things you would honestly say, okay, God probably had nothing to do with that. But yet, yet, we definitely can go the other direction and only acknowledge God when there's some kind of direct miracle. The Bible says it real clearly. The voice was heard from heaven. Jesus spoke, and the voice heard, was heard from heaven. And the Bible says, some thought it thundered, and some thought it was an angel. But Jesus said, this voice was given for your benefit and not for mine. So hold on, wait a minute. You mean some people heard a voice from heaven and said, I think that's thunder. And some that I think was a voice of an angel. I wonder how many times in your life God has spoken to you, and you said, well, that's probably just me. Maybe that was just thunder. Maybe that was just something happening. I don't know if I, I can get this message across to you, but this is really in opposition to who I am. I have always liked to be the kid that knows things. I don't know when it happened, but maybe kindergarten or first grade, I remember sitting around a reading circle, and they were all talking, and they were, the teacher was asking us for words, and I had some big word, like, man, I had, like, ammunition, and I brought it out, broadcaster. I heard my dad, something was on the radio, and the teacher was, oh, Scotty, that's a big word, very good. Remember that feeling, that, oh, yeah, I know stuff, and I've always had that desire to know stuff. Whenever I read the Bible now, I can't hardly stop myself. I got to get the blue letter Bible out, get the Strong's Concordance, find out what that word's about. I got to check it against this version and that version. I got to read stuff and get another verse that goes to that verse. That's just how my mind works. But this is kind of the opposite of that. That knowledge and understanding and knowing really can run counter what the Bible is saying. Acknowledging Him in all your ways. Not you. Not acknowledging what I've done for the Lord. Acknowledging Him. Not leaning on my understanding. Leaning on Him. Amen. I know. It's the simplicity of Jesus. You wanted something more. You wanted something better. 
More complex, more difficult. Get into the Ezekiel's visions. Brother Scott, come on, tell us something. Get down there real deep where it's like, oh, I can't hardly handle it. What's Ephesians said? For by grace, you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We understand that passage, and pastor preached a great message on it. It's probably been, ooh, ten and a half years ago, when my granddaughter Gia was being uh, dedicated. Remember that? You talked about grace, because her name Gia is Italian, it, it, it means grace. And you talked about how God, by grace, gave Noah a plan, that grace goes with the plan. And we understand that this passage does not mean that we have no responsibility to react to the Lord, that there's no need for repentance and baptism. That's not what it means. It means that to receive his salvation, we can't bring anything to the table. Well, look, Lord, how much I've done for you, and look how godly I've been. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. My prayers. Have you seen my church attendance? Nothing I can bring to that table is bartering enough to say, I deserve your salvation. Amen. I'm talking about the simplicity of Jesus. That's the concept here. That maybe there is a problem, a big problem, with being complex. And by the way, that's another one of your blanks. If you love blanks, I've given you 10 blanks. You 10 blank people. I figured out in my time teaching here that 10 blanks is just about right. Remember that time I had 25 blanks and somebody like freaked out and said, I don't know, I can do this, brother Scott. I've not been to college. What are we doing here? And then so I, I, I scale, but scaling it back, bringing them back. And now I'm down to 10. People are like, okay, I could, I could do 10 with the Lord's help. Jesus have mercy. The big problem with being complex. And I, it's something that our flesh likes, really. But faith does not work because of your righteousness. Now, I, that really doesn't make sense to us. I know it. Because if we had any moment right now, we're going to go to the hospital bed or to someone's house that's addicted to something or to someone's life that's in trouble. Our, our first thought would be, okay, I want to go. Let me get myself right with God first. I need to get like cleaned up. I mean, I'm okay, but just give me, let me have a few seconds to say, Lord, forgive me for all my sins. Let me get pure and clean and get my mind right. But faith actually doesn't work because of your righteousness. I'm, I'm going to prove it to you. And I know that's difficult for Christians today because we pretty much judge ourselves by how others are doing. We do. We are, are, this is a generation, whether you like it or not, that compares everything against other people. And unfortunately, like pastors talked about and others, it's usually a fake picture we're comparing ourselves to. They always go on vacation. Look at them. Seems like they do. They're always having these fantastic meals that she's cooking and he is barbecuing. Because, of course, they're only putting out the great stuff for you to see. No one ever takes pictures of the bad stuff. When they failed and the barbecue pit caught on fire. None of that. You don't see that stuff. In the same way, we struggle with the concept. But I want you to realize this. Your faith doesn't work because of your righteousness. It doesn't work because of your knowledge. This is a common refrain around Christians. Well, I just need to know more. I wish I needed to study more. I need to learn more. I need to dig in more. If I knew more, if I knew as much as they did or he did or pastor did, someone else, well, I could do that then. But that's not where faith works. It doesn't work because of your holiness or godliness. All these things are, are a, a reaction to the blessings of Jesus in salvation and walking with him. That's not how faith works. I'm going to prove it to you in the Bible. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 8 say? We know that we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If I pour more knowledge, just straight Bible knowledge into your head, knowledge puffs up. Talk about the big head. There are plenty of people that know more about the Bible than you do. That doesn't mean that God's working through them. And I'm not saying we don't want to know about the Bible. We do. But knowledge for knowledge's sake puffs up. Love edifies. That means love builds up others. Love builds up. Amen.
All right, let's look at this. I want you to listen to this little piece here. It's not on your page. You might want to write it down. Everybody understands what the term backsliding means. We all have the definition. Now, funny enough, it's not actually the Bible definition. To us, backsliding means, well, they've left the church. They turned their back on God. They're going, they've completely just gone to the world. But backsliding, you'll find it really just in two um, books of the Bible, Jeremiah and Hosea. Hosea actually, in chapter 4, verse 16, says, um, Israel like a, black, a backsliding heifer. Boy, I challenge pastors some Sunday to get here and say, you people, you women are like a backsliding heifer. I want to, I want to see what happens. That, maybe that's because I like to just poke, you know, poke the bear and, and get, find trouble. You know, I, God forgive me. But I, I think about that. That's what the Bible says. You bunch of backsliding heifers. I've learned in life not to call women heifers, but I think the Bible says it, so, well, never mind. So the truth of the matter is backsliding is a lot, a lot uh, smaller in infraction than we make it out to be. It's not a complete, total, I'm leaving the church, I'm leaving God, I'm done with everything. It simply means to turn back, to turn away, to be stubborn. Well, if that's the definition of backsliding, well, I probably have done that this week. God's asked me to do something, and I said, oh, I don't want to do that right now. That, that, that's backsliding? Now, I've heard a term many years ago, Brother Tenney talked about front sliding. That's a, you'll not find that one in the Bible. But if you can backslide, it makes sense. You can definitely front slide. Now, how would you define front sliding? That's getting ahead of God. That's being impatient with God. Saying, come on, God, you said you're going to do this. I'm going to do this without you. Better hurry up. That's being self-righteous. Front sliding would be focusing on how good you've been. Front sliding is thinking, well, you know, I am really more spiritual than most people. That's front sliding. It's simply, one is getting behind God and away from God, some distance between you and the Lord, turning, and the other is getting out there ahead of God. Now, for those definitions, I've probably done those both in the same week. Probably have. And I can find in the Bible, there's a passage where it was easy to do either one. Acts chapter 16 shows a possibility for both. The Bible says in Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, that they wanted to go to Asia to preach the gospel. That sounds perfectly okay with me. Who in the world would have a problem with going to preach the gospel? They're going to preach the word in Asia? Sounds good. But the Holy Ghost said no. Ooh, well, I, I don't know what to do with that. There was no explanation. The Holy Ghost didn't say, well, you're going to go another time. And he did. But, not, but didn't say any of that. Just said no. So uh, we ended up at the border of Maesia. And we're heading to Bithynia. And uh, Spirit said No. Now, about this time, if I'm with Paul, I'm going to say, wait a minute. I thought you were Paul the Apostle. Don't you know what the Lord wants you to do? Are you confused? Like you're just going to try this one, try that one, and keep getting no's and not listen? Let's just go on anyway. You know what that would be? Front sliding. Getting ahead of the Lord. I'm just, just, you know, I'm just, I'm impatient. Let's do this. This is a good thing. Why is the Lord telling us no? Let's just go ahead and do it. Hmm. Yeah. Finally, they travel to Troas. Just go over here. They get a vision, a man saying, a Macedonian man saying, come over and help us. And they said, okay, that's probably it. That's probably the, the, the we figured, we gathered, that's probably what God wants us to do. Backsliding would be saying, I'm frustrated. This obviously is not working. God doesn't want me to talk to anybody about the Lord. I'm just going to quit. We can see both of these in numbers. The Bible says that the people cried all night long. Why do they cry? Why would you cry all night long? They heard a bad report, and they believed it. Why, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Let us die in Egypt. The promised land is right there. It's just over. I can see it, and yet we can't go there. There's giants, and everything's horrible, and people are going to kill us, and we're like grasshoppers. They cried. That's backsliding. They turned away from what God wanted them to do. They literally pulled back, stubborn, like a, like a backsliding heifer that has an image of that cow 
jerking back or pulling back against the yoke or what the, what the, what the farmer or the rancher is trying to do. And then, after hearing God's judgment, you're going to wander for 40 years. Oh, really? You think your kids are going to die? I tell you what, God said. No, you're going to die in this, in this wilderness, wander around, and your children are going to live. After hearing that, they said, okay, you know what? Next morning, we changed our minds. We're going to go and fight after all. Promised land is right here. This is front sliding. No, no, Moses said, you will not succeed. God's not for you. He's already told you not to go. We're going to go anyway. And of course, they went and were defeated and came back, many dead and wounded, going back to the wilderness. So yes, front sliding is in the Bible. Not the word, but the concept. And so is backsliding. What happens is that we forget the simplicity of Jesus Christ. What's the simplicity? Following him, listening to him, stopping when he stops, going when he goes. The simplicity of Jesus is not leaning on my own understanding. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I understand. Who's in charge here, me or him? Amen. All right, so dependence is the direct opposite of independence. That sounds like the most obvious thing I've said tonight. Dependence is the direct opposite of independence. And yet, almost all of us, we don't want to be dependent. None of us want to be dependent, needing, needing someone to help us, needing someone to lead us around, needing someone to clothe us, needing someone to pay for us, needing someone to get us up in the morning. We don't want to be dependent. We want to be independent. And, and I think that's natural and good in many realms, in many areas, except when it comes to following Jesus. Being independent from Jesus means he's not in charge, he's not leading, he's not directing, I am. Being dependent on him to some level or another is saying, Lord, I'm not going to go until you say to go. Now that, that's easy for me to say, it's harder to live. I'm not, I'm not going to stop until you say to stop. I'm going to turn when you say to turn. That's more difficult to do. I've never... I've never gotten where I can say, I have figured that one out. That's part of just a walk with the Lord. I'll never forget the story a pastor said about the Lord bringing a thought to him, and he was a nagging thought. He was on the highway about to get off. He put a signal on to get off the exit ramp, and the Lord was saying, you need to go visit Bill today. And the pastor said out loud, God, you know what I'm doing today. I'm working for you. I got to go. I got to turn right and go over here and got to go to the church and do some stuff and meet with people. Lord said, you need to go visit Bill today. And all along the way, that argument was happening. He was just like this feeling, i got to go visit Bill. And then him talking out loud in the car, just to himself and the Lord. God, you know I've got things to do. He finally came to the stop sign where, about the last minute, put his blinker on to go right. And then he felt in his spirit, the Lord said, okay, you go to the church. I'm going to go visit Bill. So it's like, he, then he had the feeling. So what do I want to do? do the things I want to do for the Lord or go where the Lord is already working? Yeah. It's not easy to do because in our flesh, we want to be independent. That's a thing everybody wants. But God says, do you want me to lead? Do you want to go where I'm working? Do you want to go where I'm blessing? Or do you want to go do the thing you're going to work on? Amen. This is how Jesus said it in John 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. You abide in me, and I in him, you bear much fruit. For without me, you can do some things, a few things, here and there. You can make some progress. The Bible says nothing. I'm not sure how much you can make of it. There's not anything there, nothing. Nothing's not much at all. You can't do anything. Lord, we're doing a lot of good works, a lot of good things. Without me, you can do nothing. Wow, that suggest a higher level of dependence than probably you have been living. Without him, you can do nothing. How much nothing have we been doing? That's a great question to ask ourselves. How much nothing in our life have we been doing? And the Lord says, I'm working. I'm working over here. I'm working over there. It always bothers me to think about the disciples rowing into the wind, fighting the wind, fighting the waves, and Jesus was going to walk by them. Boy, I don't want that to be a picture of my life, that I'm working so hard and going nowhere, and Jesus is going to walk on by. I want, to, I want to be like them and cry out, Lord, save us, have mercy, help us. 
And when Jesus came, all of a sudden, the impossible things that they were fighting changed and shifted. When he gets in there with you, without you can do, without him you can do nothing. So I've got five things to show you in the Bible. Five things that prove the simplicity of Jesus Christ, or five things that prove the simplicity of following him. The first is an effective evangelist. Now, this is one of the most effective evangelists I've ever found in the Bible. Every search I can find, I can't find anyone more effective than this evangelist. And yet, this evangelist did not mention one verse of the Bible. That seems to be something wrong with that evangelist. You don't know one verse of the Bible? You can't tell people one verse? Not, I mean, could you say just one? Hero Israel, something? I don't know. Give a verse. Not one verse. This evangelist did not tell anyone they were lost. You would think that's kind of necessary. You want to be an evangelist, tell them they're lost, and so they can be saved, can be found, right? That works together. This evangelist did not explain how to be saved. Hear the words of the evangelist. Ready? Come see a man which told me everything I've ever done. Is this not the Christ? Is this not the Messiah? That's the evangelist of John 4. We call her the woman by the well. I don't even know her name. But an entire town was saved because of a little testimony. Why is it that the most effective people typically are those of the newest to Pentecost? Those who just got the Holy Ghost. Why is that? You know the least. You don't know one verse. You don't even know how to be saved right. And yet you're the most effective? Something tells me there's, we make it too hard, too complex. There's a simplicity of simply saying, I don't know anything right. All I know is come see it, man. He told me about my life. He knows me and still talked to me. Maybe this could be the Messiah. What a powerful thing that is. And, and I, if you weren't here for, um, on Tuesday before Thanksgiving, listen to that that list of those five people that talked, and all of them in one way or another said that they weren't natural speakers or comfortable behind the platform. And you think, so what makes what they said so powerful? What made it so rich, so life-changing? It's because it's simply their testimony of what God has done in their life or is doing in their life. And I, I'm thinking about that and listening to that in, in my seat. I'm thinking, God, what is it that makes that so impactful that gets a hold of my heart and just touches me. And the Lord reminds me, there's two things that helped them overcome. It was the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What a simple thing. There's not a, you don't have to be a lot of complexity or, or difficultness or levels to it. It's just simply, he loved me. He called me by name. He changed my life. He transformed me. He filled me with love. Oh, that, what, that's the most powerful message in the world. Amen? Amen. I, that, that moves me, and I think about that. And we can make a lot of excuses to say, well, you know, the book of Acts hadn't been written yet, and that's true. And, you know, all these other things happened, that's true. But it's also interesting that the first person that Jesus Christ revealed himself to as the Messiah was a woman of the well that nobody thought was important, that nobody cared about. Maybe, you know, Jesus, maybe you should have told like some of the rabbis or Gamaliel or somebody like in the, in, the, in the Senate or some governing person or at least some of the disciples. You told this lady that, has, that avoids people, that comes to a well not to be with people, the well is a place of gathering. Women of the village gather there, and they came in the cool of the day, either early morning or late at night. She comes when no one is there. She tries to avoid people. You talk to her? That's when you said, I, the, he that speaks unto thee, am he? I am the Christ? I am the Messiah? But she took that right there, that simple thing, and spread it to an entire town. Everyone came and was saved. Of course, they, and not saved, I shouldn't say, but they believed in the Lord. They heard him. This is before the Holy Ghost is given. But it's funny what they said at the very end. Now we believe, not because of what you said, no, no, no. But we have seen him ourselves. And we know that he indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now the first 
Acts miracle, the first miracle you'll find in the book of Acts, the very first one. In this one, after the miracle was over, you heard these disclaimers, strange disclaimers. Number one, it didn't happen because we were powerful. We didn't have the muscle, the might, the ability. We didn't have all the know-how to do it. We weren't powerful. That's not why this happened. Oh, it wasn't because we were so holy or godly. Gosh, guys, you want to say that? Maybe we shouldn't talk about that. There's only a two-fold secret why this happened. Now, this is in Acts chapter 3 and then Acts chapter 4. They said, here's the two-fold reason. It was because of that name and faith in that name that this man stands before you all. Wow. Talk about the simplicity of Jesus Christ. We simply had faith in the name. We believed to use that name. We had faith in that name. Don't look at us as though we're powerful. Why are you even looking at us? Don't look at us as though we have the secret that we know what to do, that we're godly or holy. It was him. Every opportunity they had, they pointed away from themselves into him. Consistently, a simple gospel, a simple Jesus, the simplicity of understanding. We just believe him. We use his name, and we have faith in that name. Amen. Number three, weak preaching. Now, it's really tempting to say that Paul didn't mean it. Say that, well, you know, Paul was just exaggerating about how bad he was because he was Paul after all. But the Bible is the word of God, amen? And we believe every word, right? Well, Paul said, when I came, you know how I was when I came. I, was, I had weakness. That's another word for nervousness. I had fear. I was, another word for being timid. I had much trembling. That's shaking. Now, I think about this. Um, talk to Pastor about this. I've thought about this as I was a kid. I can't remember the last time I had a missionary service that I was in, even as a kid, where no matter how good the missionary was, usually my pastor at the time was better than the missionary at speaking. Yeah. I've even had times where I, I've been in a missionary service before um, where I felt, wow, this guy is talking me out of giving. He's doing such a bad job. I feel like I shouldn't give. <laughs> I really have. I, but there's a missionary service I went to one time. There was a lady that came, and she talked about how, don't you love to go to a homecoming? Don't you like to go to a school reunion? Don't you like to go and see your old friends? Well, help me get back to the mission field. I miss all those people, and want to go back there and say hi to them again. It's like, God, mercy. What am I doing here? Lord, help me. But I've even wondered, Lord, I've asked this question, because I ask God questions a lot. Why is it that that missionary I'm listening to is struggling to present in a way that I find palatable, that I like to hear? He's reading, you know, obviously turning the page. It's not going really well. And yet, this is the same guy that has all those preaching points and he's baptizing all those people and seeing all those miracles and, and having all those college students at the, at the, at the Christian's college they started. What, what is going on here? And the Lord reminds me and speaks to me, maybe you put the emphasis on the wrong thing. Maybe you're trusting too much in how the presentation is and how well it comes across and, and the word usage and the, and the way they act on the, on, in front of the people. Maybe you're missing that there is a simplicity of simply saying, Lord, if you don't do the work, it won't get done. Do the work through me. I think if we were there and could hear the disciples preach or teach, we would be, oh, this is it? That's, that's the stuff? We're here in this house and Paul's not stopping talking? I know he's passing through, but come on, it's been like three hours. What's going on? This, this is not a great church service at all. I don't know why... I want to go back to 2022 and hear Pastor Harper or someone, anybody but this. We'll be really disappointed. But you know, the truth of the matter is, is it in the person or is it in the name? Is it in the person or is it in his power to flow through anybody? The truth of the matter is, more miracles and more, more work into the Holy Ghost would happen in your life if you stop thinking about yourself and start focusing more on him. Miraculous things happen not because we orchestrate them, but because he does them.
I'm so moved right now in the Holy Ghost because I feel like God is talking to me and I've told the Lord, Lord, I want to teach this, but I wish I would get it mostly of anybody in this room. I would get the message. It's easy to fall right back out of this and get into looking at ourselves, looking at our situation, looking at our lacks, lack of knowledge, lack of experience, lack of whatever, looking at our lack of spirituality. We were, we were kids, uh, Jeffrey and I, I don't know if Dana had it, but we had something called a viewfinder. Very strange. You got, anybody, raise your hand if you've ever had a viewfinder. Wow, people had them. I wish I could show them on the screen right now, but I didn't, I didn't get that beforehand. Ours was red. It went over both of your eyes and had in the center a circle with like little bitty um, plasticky kind of pictures. And as you click this thing on the right-hand side, it would turn, and you would see it. Now, only one I remember was kind of a Disney one. You'd see Goofy, like, hitting a golf ball, and then Mickey falling off something, ship into the water, and then something else just go around. And so, I mean, it occupied your entire everything. It was like, you know, it was our version of TV, I guess. I'm not sure what it was. But it was like right here. You know, there's nothing. You can't see a thing going in the room or anything around you. And it doesn't work, I don't think, if you just do one eye. I don't think it, it would work correctly to look, look right. That viewfinder concept came to my mind. And the Lord was talking to me about, what are you focusing on? It's amazing how if you focus on yourself, your own failures, how many times you've failed the Lord and things you've done wrong. and how, If you focus on you and how how much you, how weak you are, or how you prayed and it didn't happen. You're focusing here. It's all you can see. It occupies all of your heart and mind. If you focus on people and their problems, they become just a mountain, impossibility. How can you even help all those people that are homeless and all those people that are hungry and all those in the hospital, the thousands upon thousands that are, that are doing this and that and the other. But imagine if you put your viewfinder only on him, only on Jesus, and not on you, and not on people, but only on him. He, by his power and might and dominion and ability, would lead you to someone. His power, he would give you a prayer to pray. He would give you some of the song in the midnight hour. If you focus on him, that's a, I know it's simple. That's ridiculously simple, but that's the truth of the matter. Either he's all God or he's not. He doesn't need varnish or more paint or a little help or a little addition or my abilities or anything I can do. He's all Jesus by himself with all power in heaven and earth. Amen. The truth of the matter is, weak preaching, not that great testimony, not that great of a prayer, it transforms everything if Jesus is in the middle of that, <laughs> if he's the focus. Amen. Now, the cry. I love this. You'll find it in Psalms 107, verses 6, 13, 19, and 28. It's funny because every verse is exactly the same. Everyone. They cried unto the Lord in their troubles, and he delivered them out of all their distresses. I might not have it exactly right, but I think that's close to the, um, the verse. So I've, I've asked the Lord about this a lot because I'm very just confused. There's a lot left out of the passage. We have people in all kinds of situations. We have, um, we have a wanderer, the wanderer. Now, everybody here is redeemed. They are the redeemed. And you can tell that from the first few verses. And if you look, if you take an overview of Psalm 103, 104, I'm sorry, 104, 105, 106, 107, you'll see its poems written to cover the history of, of the children of God. The previous one, Psalm 106, is about them coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land, and then losing it, going back into captivity because of their sins. This one, Psalm 107, is about them being gathered from all these different lands and coming back to, um, back to the temple, back to Jerusalem, okay? So it's important to understand that all these people are the redeemed. In our vernacular, all these people are the saved. All these people are followers of God, everybody here. So the first group, the wanderers, 
and I'm sorry to put this on your page. It just came to me right now while I'm talking. The wanderers can't really tell you when it happened. It's not their fault. They were going to the city. They were supposed to go the right direction. And somewhere along that path, they, instead of walking for a direction, they just been just walking. They're wanderers. To wander means you don't have any precise place to go. You're looking for a right path that never can seem to find it. Just wander, just wandering. And the Bible says that their soul is about to die inside of them. They're hungry and thirsty. They they need something. If you talk to them, they would say, I'm disconnected. Because wandering is like that. They they wandered in a solitary place. They feel lonely, even if they have a group or if they have a family. The wanderers feel like... They, they love God, they believe in God, but somehow they've gotten where a place they can't figure out how to get around. The Bible doesn't say that God condemns them. They're wandering. They, they don't know where to go. And what do they do in that situation? The Bible says, and they cried to the Lord in their distress. So in that moment, they cried to the Lord. And the Lord delivers them. The Lord gets them on the right path. He puts them to a city. That means a place of being connected and, and having people around them that they're with. And they, they're, they're going together. God saves them and delivers them. Talks about the wondrous works of God. And next, we have, uh, now I'm going to put this in out of order. The fourth one is called the sailor. I'm going to do him with the wanderer because just like the wanderer, they're not at fault. They did nothing wrong. The sailor is going to work. Sailor is, you know, taking care of a tremendous sail. Um, fixing some line, pulling an anchor. He's just doing his job. It's just life. That's nothing new for him. And the storm arises. It's so powerful. The Bible says he staggers around on this deck like a drunken man. He is going to die. He knows the situation. The waves are so strong and they're so powerful, he can't even get his stability. Quickly, that boat will be capsized and he'll drown. He cries out to the Lord in his trouble as well. And the Lord delivers him, brings him to a safe harbor. Next, the second one is the rebel. Oh boy, the rebel. Now the rebel and the fool have something in common as well. Second and third one, they're both at fault. Ask the rebel if you can find him in his prison with iron bars. Ask the rebel if you can see him with the chains around his wrist. Why are you here? It's my fault. I knew the words of the Lord, and I refused to listen. I, re- I, I mocked them. I made fun of them. I laughed at God's commands and directions. I, I refused to listen. I wouldn't do it. I said, I'm going to do my own thing. I know what you're telling me to do, and I'm not going to do it anyway. He's in a severe place of trouble. It's his own fault. It's a jail of his own making. The Bible says he's been put under heavy labor. He's fallen on the ground. There's no one can rescue him. No one can ever help him. It's beyond possibility of man to help him. And he cries to the Lord, and the Lord delivers him. And last, we have the fool. There are five kinds of fools in the Bible. This fool is called a simple fool or a silly fool. A silly fool is one that, eh, he doesn't think about the situation much. He thinks it doesn't apply to him. He's not like the rebel. He doesn't rebel against the words of God, but mostly refuses to listen to wisdom. Wise teachers, wise people, wise parents, people that are trying to help him in his life, he won't listen to them. He wants to do things his own way. It doesn't really, nothing will hurt me. Because of his foolishness, he's in a sickbed. The Bible says he's wasting away. He's at knocking on death's doorstep. He cannot get up. He, can, he is so weak, so famished. He's on that gurney about to die. He's about to pass. And he cries to the Lord. Now, I asked the Lord, what did they all say? What's the prayer? I want to pray it. What, what, how do you, what, what, what do you say? And the only word that's there is, they cry to the Lord. Okay, good, I got that one. So how long did they cry? Doesn't say. Uh, what, what did they, when did they cry? I'm not clear. They cried to the Lord in every situation, whether it was their fault or nobody's fault. Whether it was just part of living or they had gotten themselves in that position. They cried to God. Talk about a simplicity. There's not even a prayer I can tell you. I can't tell you what position they had. I can't tell you what they did. I can't tell you anything like they fasted or they read 12 verses a day. I don't know. 
How long did they cry? I only assuming they cried until the Lord rescued them. Talk about a simplicity of Jesus Christ. That's how you do it. You simply say, I'm, I need your help, Lord. Deliver me, Jesus. Save me. Get me out of this, Lord. That's a cry. That's the cry of the Lord. That's the only cry we can do. What are you going to say to the Lord when you're in those places? You can't stop the storm. There are typhoons that are so big, they will knock you off your feet. What are you going to do with that? There are situations you have faced, storms in your life, that have just risen up so powerful. It's an emergency call. It's a, it's a problem, a situation that turns a, a nice day into a, a horror, horror day. A day, a day of fear and day of worry. I'll never forget the time, the first time in my life I saw that. I, I don't know how young I was. Jeffrey, you might know the exact time. But I was in the kitchen. I was sitting on the ground playing with something. Mom went to that telephone. Remember the ones used to be on the wall? On the wall? I had a little, yeah, you had to actually pick up the phone to see who was there. Strange times back in the old days. I know, I know it's hard to comprehend that, but that was real. And so mom picked the phone up with a long cord. She, I remember watching her face for some reason. You know how kids, they pay attention at the, like the wrong times? You know, they never pay attention. All of a sudden, their ears are, whoop, up, saying something bad, saying something about me, something going on. It's like, oh, I got to pay attention right now. The only thing I can remember from that time period, I watched her say hello, and then her face just turned I don't know how to describe it. It's like it fell. Like her breath, like she stopped breathing. And she's saying, yes, okay, I'll I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Reiko had just, Pastor talks about her, had just had a heart attack or something happened, driven from on the highway. Her car went through the median, struck another car, and she immediately died. That happened. They were telling mom about it on the phone right then. Talk about a storm. Storm like that can sweep you away. Why? She had tracks on the seat next to her. She's going to go do a Bible study or something for God. I, I don't have any answers to this. I don't know why. I can't tell you. There's no good things to say that will make it feel better. Sometimes we forget that grief is not a puzzle to be unlocked. Grief is something we have to carry. We carry that. That, that's the truth. Sometimes try to find, sometimes people really do a lot of damage trying to find the, the key to unlock the puzzle. Well, you know, God did this because you don't know why God did that. We don't have no idea. But I saw that on my mom's face. I never forget that in the kitchen. Her hand just went slack. Her whole face, her, she just, her posture just changed from a great little day to <sighs> storms come like that. What do you do in that storm? You cry unto the Lord. That's all I know to tell you to do. What do you do when you're in a prison of your own making? Mentally, spiritually, relationally, whatever is it, physically? You cry unto the Lord. If you're wandering and you say, I I can't figure out my way, I'm lost, I'm trying to do right, but I can't figure it out. I, I believe in the Lord, but somehow I've gotten disconnected from him or others. You cry unto the Lord. What do you do if you're on a sickbed, either in your mind or your body? You've been foolish. You've not thought about the right things, and you've got yourself into serious trouble. You cry into the Lord. I'm talking about the simplicity of Jesus Christ. I know that's not real clear point-by-point answers of how to pray and what to do and what position and what posture to take, but that's the truth. He is the answer. He is the guide that the sailor needs, right? Sorry, the guide that the wanderer needs. He is the captain the sailor needs. He is the deliverer for the rebel in prison. And he is the healer for the fool on the sickbed. Yes, he is. Amen. I, I, I just, all I can say to you right now is that the Lord wants to do a work in our life. And sometimes we try to figure it out for so long on our own. And he's just waiting for us to cry to him. Now, the last thing I'll tell you about is the yoke. Tired, burnt out, under heavy load. That's who Jesus was reaching out to. Yes. Now, Jesus put out a call. All of you are weary, heavy laden. Take my yoke upon me, he says. Now, it's easy and light. Now, easy and light, that seems weird. You don't... You seldom hear preachers talking about living for Jesus. It's easy and it's light. That's not typical fare for a message anywhere. Oh, you're going to love this message. It's easy and it's light. So 
I, I begin to dig into this a little bit because I just, you know, this, this mind of just wanting to figure it out. And I realized I had a misconception about a yoke really all my life. I guess because I've never yoked up a couple of oxen. I'm not used to that. I've never really held a yoke in my hand. I probably have seen one like at some antique place or whatever where they're hanging on the wall. And I've never put my neck in a yoke before in my life. I have no idea what that even would be like. A yoke, though I found out real quickly, is not for one ox. And somehow in my understanding, reading the Scripture, it was always like, take my yoke upon you. Well, it means I want to do things the Lord's way. I want to be under His will and not my will. I want to be obedient to Him and not try to, you know, demand how things should work out. I want to let him be the driver of the car and, I, and not me. But that's not exactly what's being said here. Yoke requires two oxen. Now, the way they would do it most of the time, they'd put a, a seasoned, mature oxen with a younger, brand new ox. And that way, when the younger ox would kick or try to fight back or go off on the left or go too fast or too slow. The older ox would be stable and steady and know how to go on the field and know the time to turn and know the time to stop and know the time to keep on going. That, old, that, young, that stronger ox would hold that younger ox in place. And it came to me, I realized, it's not just me in the, in the yoke. Jesus is in the yoke with me. I, I just, it, it dawned on me. He is the older, mature, wise one. I, I'm the younger one. We're, we're, it's supposed to be that we are going together. Now, he's leading. He, he stops when he's time to stop. He starts, he turns. when he, I, I may not even know idea where the barn's at. I don't know how to go or where the field ends or where it starts. He knows. We are truly partnering with Jesus that's what we're supposed to be doing. We are not doing what you're doing tonight or what you do on most church services. Preach it, pastor. Well, listen. Do it. Go. Teach it, brother. I, boy, I received that. It was a good one. That, that's a lot different picture than the two oxen together, right? It's more, more of a picture of those oxen being in the barn, hearing the good word, and then going out to the field. That's a different thing. Imagine the difference of us trying to do it on our own. No wonder we're laboring heavy laden. No wonder it's a, oh, this is not easy. It's a hard thing to live for God. It's not light. It's heavy. I'm struggling. This is difficult. Imagine the difference if Jesus is in the, in the other part of the yoke with you, literally partnering with him. Wow, how beautiful that is, and how easy we let it go. It, I, I got it right now, and hopefully I won't lose it by tomorrow morning. Just life happens, and things happen, and storms happen, and just to-do lists happen, and, and there's people to take care of, and this has got to be fixed, and before you know it, you can just get off and, refu- and forgetting that you're supposed to be partnering with Him. When you're praying, you're praying in His stead. When you're walking and talking, you're talking in his stead. When you're living, you're living in his stead. It, it's him or nothing. Wow. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. You're heavy laden. You're under a lot of burdens. Come and learn to me. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. You'll find rest for your souls. It's soul rest. It's way down here. I haven't told this story before, and I don't know why the Lord is bringing it to my mind. I, I think probably I should. I don't know. Um, this happened several years ago. I was, um, and I'm not saying this to, to any way to puff myself up. I'm saying this to point out the message, the simplicity of this message. Um, I got up early to pray. It's one of those prayer times that um, you think, well, Lord, you know, I, I was trying, I tried to be here, but I felt like I wasn't doing very good or getting anywhere. And um, after I, as I left the prayer, prayer time, at that, at that time I was praying at the, um, the, the North Campus uh, early in the morning, driving back home, 
and just felt this little theme. I should go over to those apartments um, over there on US 41. They're down the road from Pastor and Tammy's house. They didn't live there then. Um, I don't know why. I don't know anybody in those apartments. Nothing I know to do. I don't understand anything about that. I don't know what that's what's about. I thought, well, I'll just go there. Okay, whatever. So I drove there. I pulled in. I drove around. I mean, there's like, I don't know how many there are. There must be hundreds of them. And I drove to some spot. I can't take you there now. I don't even know where it was at. I was just driving around. Pulled up and uh, got out of the car and said, Lord, I don't know what this is about. All right, whatever. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'll figure it out, I guess. I walked up on the sidewalk, walked down a little bit, walked, you know how they have, you walk in kind of underneath the stairs that go up, and um, I walked to one of the apartment numbers, and I knocked on the door. And uh, early in the morning, young guy answers the door. He's got kind of a, his eyes are red. And there's an older guy in the living room. They're both standing there looking at me. The young guy has his hand on the door, and Nobby says, yes. And I said, well, I can't explain this, but I was praying uh, this morning, and I felt like the Lord told me to come here. I have no idea why. I have nothing even to say. And I stood there looking at him. He looked at me. The older guy in the living room started yelling. He said, that is an angel from God. See, I told you, you want to take your life? God sent you an angel. That is it. They're looking at an angel from God. God sent that man. That's an angel from God. The young guy started crying. Old man is like preaching and yelling at me and him. I don't, I don't know what to do. I simply said, well, you know, God brought me here. I have no idea. I don't know who you are. I know that the, that the Lord knows you. She, he said, thanks, close the door. I've never seen either of them again the rest of my life. I have no idea what even happened. I hope it worked out. I hope he didn't kill himself. But the Lord worked a miracle. Now, I think that's how it happens more than we would realize. God seldom, seldom does the entire theme or explains to us the beginning and the end. He just says, I want you right there. Do this part, and then you're done. I'm going I'm to work this out. I'll lead this yoke. I'll take care of it. God knows. Did you realize that? God knows your name. He knows where you're at. He's never lost sight of you. He's never forgotten you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I want you to know there is a simplicity to Jesus Christ. You have to fight your own desire for independence, your own understanding, and say, Lord, help me to drop all of that on the altar right now and lay that there and say, Lord, you be God in my life. You lead me. You guide me. Come on, stand with me right now. Someone throw your hands up in the air. Just in an act of obedience, say, Lord, here I am. I don't understand it, Lord. I just love you. I surrender my life in your hands. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus.